probably best friend, right? John is known as probably the closest disciple to Jesus. And so you can see how important this gospel is to our living every day. And so if you've never been introduced to the gospel of John, can I encourage you, as we do this, this whole study in John, would you follow along in your own time at home, devotionally? I want you to ask the questions, what is Jesus saying? Why is he saying those things? What is he doing? Who is he meeting? And so this morning what we're going to do is I'm going to bring you into John chapter 3. Uh, you know, for me, I, I, I've maybe have mentioned this before, maybe you don't know me well enough, but if, if I can be really open with you, one of the things uh, that I struggle with a lot is I like to make sure that before I do anything, I do it the right way. I don't like getting into anything unless I know how to complete it the right way. I blame it on my 12 years of experience with Lego. There is an instruction book given to you, and you follow it, and you do that. And for me, when I open a box of Lego, there's some kids, they're the weird ones, that pour it out, open the bags, and they don't even follow the instructions. They make their own thing. That's not right. For me, I have to open the bags, pull out the instructions. I got I to go a step by step. And, and now Joshua, he's five years old, my, my five-year-old boy, and, and he uh, is big into Lego now. And so I'm able to really feed this really horrible part of my life and, and, and follow the instructions. And, and when he gets off instructions, Joshua, you're not doing it right, you know? And uh, there's an issue. This is why when it comes to renovations, uh, me and Catherine, we do not work well together. That is one of Satan's, Satan's biggest thing against me and Catherine. He's like, let's put, make them do renos, right? And uh, we yell at each other. We don't do well because Catherine's like, just get it done quick. And I'm like, well, Catherine, I've got to make sure it's done right, right? And I'm going to follow the instructions piece by piece. And, and her dad's more of a, of a, a bull in a china shop, and, and she's more used to that. And for me, I, I'd like to take my time with things. I like to make sure that everything's okay. For example, parenting. When we, we found out that Catherine uh, was pregnant with our first, with Joshua, what I did is I bought all the books I could about parenting. But what's happening to the child in Catherine's stomach? I mean, I had no connection. I couldn't feel Joshua in me. So I had to somehow find some connection. And I wanted to know what's going on. Because to tell you the truth, I've seen some of your experiments with your kids. They didn't turn out very well. And so for me, it's like, I want to make sure I do this well. I want to know what's going on. I, 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 you know, I need to make sure everything's okay. And, and, and to tell you the truth, uh, when it comes to being a Christian, I'm kind of the same way. I don't like delving into things I don't know. You know, I come across texts, okay, and I don't know if you want to follow me here, but in Matthew chapter 7, you don't have to. I'll read it really quickly. Uh, It won't be very long here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. It says this. I mean, these are are verses in me that, um, that scare me. You know what? It's in the wrong place. I put the wrong place. But basically it was this. It was Jesus saying, you do all this in my name. But he's like, but... Depart from me, because I never knew you. I mean, this list of people doing wonderful signs and wonderful things for Jesus, and yet Jesus still says, you kind of missed the point. Things like that freak me right out. I mean, I've been raised in the church, and I try to figure this stuff out, but what if I get this all wrong? I mean, when it comes to eternal things, I mean, like, I, okay, if I get a bit of Lego wrong and I don't put it in the right piece, that's fine. Nothing bad's going to happen. I mean, I'll freak out a little bit. I'll get over it. But when it comes to things of eternal significance, I'm like, i got to make sure this is done right. 
And when I read things like that, it freaks me right out. I don't know about you, but there is something in me that wants to make sure that when it comes to being a Christian and it comes to pleasing God, I want to make sure I do it the right way and I end up in the right place. Have you ever wondered, maybe if, if you're a believer here, you've thought to yourself, am I doing this right? How do I know I am doing this correctly? How do I know that my Christian life, that I'm not just going through the motions and that I don't end up like the guy in Matthew? Who Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Maybe you're here and you're a believer, and uh, maybe the question for you is this, is, I got a lot of enthusiasm about God, but I want to make sure I don't lose it. How do I not lose it? Maybe this morning, you're someone here who you're kind of what I like to call a seeker. You've maybe heard about God, you've heard about Jesus, but you want to know what's the difference. What's the difference with being a Christian versus any other world religion versus any other belief system? What makes a Christian a Christian? Well, those are all great questions that force you to ask. And those are the questions where, luckily, our passage this morning deals directly with. So if you don't mind, would you mind opening up your Bible with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3? We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go down a little bit. We're only going to go about halfway through John, chapter 3. John, uh, like I said, it's, it's one of the testimonies of the life of Christ is Matthew, Mark, Luke, which are what's called the synoptic gospels. There's a lot of similarities between them. John is a bit of a different type of gospel. It, it's, you know, he doesn't focus as much attention as the other gospels do, and he gets right to it, and it's very, uh, the gospel of John is, re- is surrounded with, by a lot of people, the stories of Jesus meeting people. And here we are in John chapter 3, and this is, he starts a, a, a journey with this man named Nicodemus. And this is what we're going to read. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. And if you don't mind, I'm going to walk you through the passage a little bit, give you a bit of background as we go on. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Basically, Nicodemus was a big deal. He was a Ron Burgundy of the Pharisees. This guy was a big deal. This guy, everyone knew him. He was probably extremely wealthy because there's only certain people that held this position. This man had it. He had the pedigree for his family. You know, this guy, he knew what he was doing. He was an extremely good theologian. He knew the laws. He knew the Old Testament extremely well, okay? Nicodemus, like I said, was a big deal. He came to Jesus at night. Now, a lot of people have a question. Why did he come at night? We try to spiritualize a lot of things. Here's the one thing, you know, you can go at, to, go at it, and some people skip over this point, but it could have been that he was embarrassed because of his, his, his position, sorry. He had just, remember, Jesus had just turned the tables over. You know, John the Baptist had been baptizing, and he mentioned Jesus. Jesus had never been to a rabbinical school. He had heard about Jesus. He had saw the signs, which we're going to see. Was he embarrassed because the others didn't see him as Jesus? That could have been it. Some say that he was just out of respect for Jesus because he calls him rabbi in the next word here. It could have been out of respect because he would know he would have been really busy during the day. Who knows? To tell you the truth, we don't know exactly why, but Jesus does make a bit of a parallel to it later on in, the, in John chapter 3. He came at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Basically saying this, we know that you are at least a prophet of God. That the signs that you're doing you know, they are from God. So he is respectful of Jesus here. 
He moves on. In reply, Jesus declared, I love this. You know, here's the thing that we're going to find out this morning. Jesus is not one, of, not one of those guys where you can have a light conversation with. It's like, hey, Jesus, so how's it going? Good. How's your marriage? Right? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Okay, well, how's it? You know, he gets right to it here. Nicodemus has some questions in his head. I don't know about you, but if I got to meet Jesus, and if you got to meet Jesus, wouldn't you have tons of questions on your mind? Jesus, please tell me about the dinosaurs. Please. Right? And, and so I don't know who, what questions he had, but Jesus goes directly to the issue with Nicodemus, and he starts here. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Maybe your version says, truly, truly. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can go to heaven. No one can go to the place where God dwells unless he is born again. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. I mean, that would be a pretty interesting thing. That would have some really difficult complications. How do I enter my mother's womb? Not only that, would that be really strange? Psychological effects would be intense. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born, right? It seems like such a crass question that he asks. I can almost imagine Jesus like, is anyone listening to this guy? No. Um, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. Or where it is going, so it is with everyone born of the spirits. Again, Nicodemus asks, how can this be? He just doesn't get it. He doesn't see what Jesus is speaking about when he talks about being born again. Jesus said, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of he heavenly things? Basically saying, listen, Nicodemus, you're so caught up that if you can't even understand the very basics of what I'm telling you, how can you understand the spiritual implications of it? He's beginning to point out Nicodemus' issue with being blind. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, verse 13. The Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This passage in John chapter 3, you know, here's, here's something that we need to understand. You know, sometimes we look at people like Nicodemus, and we come from, like, this perspective, this, this perspective where we're reading it, we know the entire story, and we kind of think of them like they're idiots. Like, Nick Abedias, how are you not getting this? You know, Bill Nye is looking for the missing link. I think I found it. Nick Abedias is a bit of a baboon. Last week, Pastor Paul mentioned two verses in the end of chapter 2, which I think are very important for us to hear before we move on. In chapter 2 of John, in the last two verses, it says this. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. 
this these three this two verses the last three sorry in chapter two what they do is they actually bring us into now jesus beginning to confront people he meets with nicodemus you're gonna hear the testimony of john the baptist and then you're actually gonna meet the woman at the well he begins bringing us to a point the gospel of john begins showing us man and jesus you know, we always want to be, when we read the scriptures, want to be the hero of the stories. Right? We want to be David. We want to be the handsome guy who did the right thing. Right? We want to be that guy who can, who can bring down Goliath. We want to be Abraham. Uh, you know what? God, give me the church. I'll lead him into the promised land. Right? I am the man of faith. We want to, you know, we, 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 we tell ourselves we want to be the spies. We are the spies with joshua that saw that god was able to do something mighty i'm not like the rest of my family faithless sinners right we want to be the heroes of the story here's the thing about the gospels though and here's the thing about the bible if you are the hero of the story you're reading it all wrong what was what jesus begins to do here and what john begins to do in his gospel is to show us how we are all like Nicodemus. Nicodemus. How we're all like the woman at the well. How we are not the good Samaritan. We're the one who is broken on the side of the street or the one who passes by him. And what we get is a picture of Jesus being the hero. And here, in the story of Nicodemus, it's no difference. See, what you have here is this man, Nicodemus, and, and I'm going to begin exposing a little bit how we're kind of like Nicodemus. Here we have this man, Nicodemus, okay? He is healthy, wealthy. I mean, the ladies want him. He's got everything that they would want, everything that they would need. This guy has a great pedigree. He's got a great family lineage. Like I said, he is probably fairly wealthy. He is very much learned. He has the experience, he's got the respect, and he's got the status. But something's wrong here with him. Before I get to that, I want to think of us. I want to think of me. How am I like Nicodemus? Because it's interesting how so many of my prayers are about my comfort. So many of my prayers, you know, and I can think about all the resources I have at my disposal, the books about God. In the amount of Bibles, I mean, I can buy a Bible in leather, I can buy a Bible in paper, I can, I mean, you can buy a Bible that literally is, fits on one page that you can't physically read without this intense microscope. Like, the amount of resources we have, to tell you the truth, there's no reason we, that we are not as learned as we can be. We have everything at our disposal. Like Nicodemus, our main prayer, our main issue is this, of monetary gain. To move up the ladder in status and hopefully there's some wealth that follows how am i like nicodemus well what jesus points out here is this he shows nicodemus the issue nicodemus you have done all these things you have all this stuff going for you thomas you have all this stuff going for you but there's one thing it's not that I've not made room for you, Nicodemus. Unfortunately, you've made no room for me. The issue in this story that we're going to find out is not that Jesus couldn't accept Nicodemus. It's that Nicodemus couldn't accept Jesus. 
And sometimes I work myself in such a dizzy that I live a life where it's not that Jesus doesn't accept me. It's just that I literally make no room for him in my life. This is the problem with Nicodemus. And what happens is that Nicodemus, because he was in this place, Jesus begins to expose two huge lies or two huge omissions that he makes. That because Nicodemus has built a system around himself where he can be what he needs to be, he can have all the status, he can have all those things. I mean, you got to know this with the Pharisees. They were about keeping the law, keeping the traditions alive, that it came down to what you did in the flesh. So much so that if you were not a Pharisee, you were looked down upon, in a sense. And they would lord it over other Jews, other believers at that time, because they couldn't hold to the law as well as they did. What we have here is Jesus beginning to expose Nicodemus' main issue, two main issues. The first issue is this. Because Nicodemus had all that stuff, Jesus begins to expose to him that you may have all of it, but you have first forgotten your spiritual need. That's the first thing. Um, how does, you know, how did I get to this conclusion? Well, it's, it's actually fairly simple. I don't know if uh, any of you, how many of you have kids, or, or when you did have kids, if you remember when they were young, some of you are like, yeah, they don't like me anymore, so I wish they were still young. And, uh, I, you know, whenever, like, my kids get sick, you know, I go into crazy parent mode. And you go into any emergency room with a kid with a small cough, and it's the same thing, right? You get in there, you get the doctor, and, of course, the parent knows best. The doctor's like, uh, you know what? It really is just a simple cough. Your kid has a pimple. No, uh, I don't think you're serious. I mean, like, I've watched Grey's Anatomy, right? Uh, get an MRI, CAT scan, get a full blood work, do it all, right? It's if we know everything, and, and maybe you're a nurse in this room, and you're like, yeah, I know those things, right? And, uh, you know, we, we, we want to be so thorough to make sure we don't miss anything, right? And, and, and this is what Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus. He's like, Nicodemus, you think you have been so thorough with your life, but he's like, you've missed the greatest need you could ever miss. It's your spiritual need. It's your need to be born again. Here's the thing about being born again. Born again is the unique feature of the Christian faith. You know, uh, when I was preparing this, it was actually a little difficult because when you're speaking about being born again, when I say that, it automatically sounds a little strange to this idea where, like Nicodemus, Jesus says, listen, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus. I know you've got questions for me. I know there's things you want to deal with in your life, but there is something bigger and something worse going on in your condition, and it's this, is that you have not been born again. And if you're not born again, it doesn't matter what you've done, you're going to miss heaven. I think that's something we need to pay attention to. Can I make the same mistake? Am I not being as thorough as Jesus wants me to be? Right at it, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, and he tells Nicodemus— This is why Nicodemus, I think, three times was saying, I, 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 I'm, like, I, don't, I don't get this. I have done everything according to the law. I mean, according to the Scripture, I thought I'd done everything. I mean, I went to church. I volunteered in Sunday school. I did all of this stuff. In fact, I didn't work on the Sabbath. I didn't do any of it. And Jesus tells him this. No matter what you have done, I'm asking you to restart again. 
could you imagine? Could you imagine just doing four years of university, putting your head into it, getting it done, and then at the end, at your final exam, your professor tells you, you did it wrong, you have to start at the beginning again. Oh, how much grief that would cause. You can tell the dilemma Nicodemus is in. Nicodemus, you have it all, yet you have nothing. You've missed the main issue, Nicodemus. The problem is you're spiritually dead. Here's the one unique thing, one of the main aspects of Christianity that we cannot just gloss over. Before we accept Christ in our life, you and I are completely spiritually dead. Not sick, dead. In Ephesians, Paul tells that church, he says, while you were dead in your trespasses. And maybe you're thinking, why does Jesus get so harsh on Nicodemus? I mean, wasn't he doing all the right things? Wasn't he a good person? Why couldn't he just accept him? Here's the issue with moral Christianity and moral living is this. I, you know, when it's dependent on you, your faith is only as good as you. And I don't know about you, but when I get up and I step on a toy in the middle of the night, my Christianity is out the door. I am not saved anymore. What comes out of my mouth has not been sanctified by Jesus. When I, every time I get on the floor, my kids crawl over me. There's just no reprieve. They could be sleeping. I get on the floor, they're up, they're on my back. When I'm going to the washroom, Joshua has to barge in. What are you doing, right? I may be good for a little bit, but the minute that happens, I'm like, Jesus, you have to save me again. The problem with a moral Christianity that Nicodemus was building for himself was that the minute that Nicodemus failed, it was done. His religion had failed him because he had failed it. The second problem with morality is this. I'm all for being cheap, by the way. When I went to Maui in December, me and my wife, we decided to do a timeshare spiel. Anyone ever been to any of those? Where you go and, and they want you to, to join in something, and, and, but the good thing about it is that you get cheap stuff after, right? Well, me and Catherine, we wanted to go into Luau. I didn't want to pay $100 for a ticket. That's nonsense. I wanted to pay 20 bucks for both of our tickets. So I spent two hours in a timeshare spiel. And here's something you got to know about me. I'm a pretty joyful person, pretty happy. I get along with people. The minute you tell me how I should spend my money, I'm like cold-faced. I embarrass Catherine at these things. I don't know why we keep going, but I embarrass her. Because she's, Thomas, quit it. We know we're not going to do it. You know, I'm like, yeah, but these people are being ripped off, right? And uh, I, you know, for, you know, the minute someone tells me how to spend my money, I mean, it's on, right? Here's the thing about having a moral belief system is that when it comes down to how good you are, there's no really requirement for you to give to anyone else. Why? Because you worked for it. That's my money. I work for it. You can't tell me how to spend it. This is what happened to the Pharisees. I worked for this. Obviously, you suck at it. Why would I give you any of grace when it's your issue? The third reason why Jesus said it wasn't enough, Nicodemus, you need to restart, is because of this. Because scripturally, we have right at the beginning of mankind a death that happened. In a garden, 
when Adam and Eve were walking with the Lord and they had open relationship with him, there was this serpent who's Satan who had tempted them to eat of this apple. And it wasn't the apple. What it was is he tempted them with going, don't you want to be like God? Why don't you put, this this was saying, why don't you put your life into your own hands? Don't let God care for you. Care for yourself. God only helps those who help themselves, right? That's probably where it came from. And so what do they do? They decided to put their own life in their own hands, to trust themselves. And from then on, sin entered the world, and what you have is a humanity who spiritually are dead. Physically, you are alive. Spiritually, you are dead. And if you are spiritually dead, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This is tough stuff, but this is truth. That before Jesus Christ comes into your life, you are in desperate need to become alive spiritually. And Nicodemus had it all right in the flesh. But spiritually, he was rightful of sin and death. This is why Jesus said in this passage, if you read in John 3, and he says this, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirits. He goes on and, uh, sorry, before that he says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. What does he mean by water and the spirit? Is he meaning baptism? No. I want to take you to a passage in Ezekiel. If you want to take me us there, Josh, it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is in the Old Testament, okay? It's a prophet Ezekiel. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws then you will live in the land i give your ancestors you will be my people and i will be your god see nicodemus would have known this nicodemus was so caught up in working out his flesh that he couldn't recognize the spiritual significance of what jesus was saying nicodemus you have it all Morally, you have done all the obligation, but you have no spiritual transformation. And what Jesus wants to do to Nicodemus, and actually to give you a bit of like you know insight into it, Nicodemus does end up accepting Christ. We see him as a follower of Christ later on. But at this point, he was so closed off by his flesh that he failed to see his most basic need, that he needed Jesus to speak brand new life into his soul. What is being born again? Being born again is this, is that though physically you are alive, spiritually you're dead, and Jesus wants to come, he wants to give you a regenesis. Now here, karma says that to work things out, you get reincarnated and hopefully you work out your things. Here's the power of Christ, though, that in the moment where you're at today, he can put to death your sin. That at this moment, right now, he wants to breathe new life in you and in me. That right now, spiritually, you are dead, but if you accept Christ in your life, he breathes new life into you. He gives you a brand new life. He doesn't give you a fixed life. He gives you a whole new life. 
He calls your dead spirit into life. His spirit comes inside of you, and he begins making you new. And I love what Jesus says. says, See, those who have experienced the spirit know what he's talking about. I don't know if you've met someone who just got saved, and they're so excited, and you're like, what's the difference? And they're like, I can't explain it to you. I just feel different. The amount of times I get people in my office that are like, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I feel like everything inside of me is changing. That is being born again. Has nothing to do with your morality. Has everything to do with life transformation. Jesus doesn't want to make you good. He wants to make you alive. And when he makes you alive, before Christ, before he makes us alive, our hearts, the Bible says, are turned against God. We don't want him. We're rebellious. You want me to prove it? Look at children. You know, you look at kids, and, I, you know, raising two young ones. Do you know most of my work is this, is to teach them to not be selfish? It's to teach them to think of, you know, Joshua to think of his sister, and not to just push her around. Julia, not to go up to his Lego and just smash it, right? It's to teach them to be able to handle other people, to be forgiving. That does not come naturally in instinct, does it? You know, we, we can say, well, I don't know if there's really a spiritual realm. I mean, like, we can be good. If we could be good, don't you think we'd evolve to a point that in this last century, there has been more death because of war than any other century before? We're not getting better. Church, we're getting worse. What is the issue? The issue is that spiritually we are dead. Our heart is rebellious towards God. And when someone gets saved— He regenerates their heart, takes their cold heart of stone out, and replaces it with a heart that is flesh-like before Jesus. And he begins to turn it around. What is he telling Nicodemus? He says this. Nicodemus, on paper you have it all right, but spiritually you got it all wrong. What does that mean for you this morning? What does that mean for me? If you're here this morning, and you've been seeking about Jesus, you've been learning about him, you've been wondering about him, I'm going to let you know that that's great, but that's not enough. At some point, you will have to make the decision that Nicodemus would have to make and everyone, every believer has to make. You have to make the decision that if every, out of everything I've done, I realize that it doesn't matter if I'm spiritually dead. There has to be this moment where you realize that it, inside my soul, I am dead. And I can know everything I want about God, But at some point, you have to realize, Jesus, would you make me born again? Would you take over my life? Would it not be about me, but now would it be about you? He doesn't want to be an accessory to life. He is going to become your life. At some point, I'm glad you're seeking, but at some point, a decision's going to have to be made. Will you be born again? Will you allow Jesus to come and make you brand new? If you're a believer here and you've had that experience, what does this mean for you? It means for you this, and this is very important. I love what the author in Galatians says, what Paul says to the Galatians church. He says this, Are you so foolish to think that the things that started by the Spirit you now can complete and perfect by the flesh? What he says is this, You got saved because of God and His mercy and His grace. He made you spiritually alive. What makes you think you can live this life according to your flesh? 
if you have been made alive in Christ at some point in your life, this needs to be a reminder to you that as you are utterly dependent on His Spirit to make you alive, you and I must live in a place where we're constantly utterly dependent on His Spirit for living today. We have to be. This life is a spiritual life. Every person you brush by is an eternal soul. Everything we do must first come down to relying on His Spirit in us. The decision to sin is this. Am I going to live according to the flesh, or am I going to give room for Jesus to work in me and through me? That's the decisions we need to make. And sometimes I worry that, like Nicodemus, we become so flesh-like, we get so attached to this world that we forget that we are first spirit before we are flesh. Let this be a reminder and encouragement for you that if you ever find yourself in a position where you can't give grace, would you rely on His grace there? In a place where you feel like you can't forgive, would you rely on His forgiveness there? When you find yourself in a place of desperation and deep, deep hurts, would you allow Him to be your peace, your patience, your kindness, your love? See, the great thing about having a spiritual, coming spiritual life purely because of God's grace is this, is that when you experience His grace, it frees you to give it as well. See, when you're moral, when you do the work, you don't have to give it, but because you've received grace, you now can give it. The second omission Nicodemus makes, and this is where I'm going to bring us to a close, is here. Well, how does he become born again? Jesus makes it very clear to him. He says this. He says, the second omission that Nicodemus made was this, is he failed to see who Jesus actually was. Um, when you, think of, when you think of Jesus, when you think of who he is, um, to the Pharisees, like I said, he said, we know that what you do, it's, it's from the Lord. It has to be the signs you're doing. He's saying that because he actually believes that Jesus is at least some sort of prophet. But Jesus has not been to a rabbinical school. He came out of a town that no one really cared for. He came from parents who no one really knew. I mean, he was a carpenter. He was very natural in a sense. It's, they were expecting someone to come and rule over them. See, Nicodemus had completely missed in Scripture who Jesus was prophesied to be like. I remember my parents used to torture me with, when I was young. By torture, I mean this. They used to take me to the mall with them. And I hated it. As a young boy, I hated it. I hated going to the mall with my parents. I thought it was embarrassing because at some point I thought every eight-year-old in Orleans was walking around free from their parents. And they're all laughing at me because I'm with my parents. I remember this one point, though, this one time, I was at the mall with my parents, and uh, I, I got left behind, not left behind, I was, I was looking at something, and, and I see my parents' head, so I run up to them, and I hold his hand, and I look up, and I realize, he's not my dad. And he looks to me, and he's like, please tell me, God, you're not my son. And, uh, and I realized I was holding the hand of the wrong person, and I had to find my right, the right dad. My dad was just laughing at me the entire time, right? Because my dad had zero grace for me. And uh, he was laughing at me and making fun of me the whole time. And, and here's the thing. Uh, Nicodemus is going to be confronted with who Jesus actually is because his perception of Christ was way too small. His perception of God was someone who was to be feared. He had to follow regulations and laws in order for, them to, for Jesus to be, or God to be pleased with him. That it was the morally upright that God would allow and God would bring into his kingdom. And Jesus turns that on his head by using this very cryptic verse. And it's here in verse uh, 14. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Just like the snake. What is he talking about? If you want to go to the next verse, Josh, or next slide. Numbers 21, 4 to 9. This is a very interesting verse. This is basically it. As the Israelites were walking along the Red Sea, they started grumbling and complaining. I mean, they were being fed manna, but they were asking, why did you take us out of Egypt? At least we were being fed well. Like, yeah, we could have been slaves, but, you know, we were at least fed really well. Now we're out here. We hate the food we're having. And like any good father, what does God do? He sends snakes to bite them. Sometimes I wish. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're complaining, they're grumbling, these things come to bite them. And, and he says, they're like, obviously, Moses, we sinned against God. Would you pray for us? And Moses does just that. He prays, and God says, I want you to take a head of the snake. I want you to put it on staff, and anyone who looks on it, remember, this has to be a, a faith. This is the very thing that bit them. Everyone who looks at it, they will be healed. And whoever looked upon it, they were healed. What is he referring to? You know, usually, snakes are bad. If you're a homeschooler here this morning, let me make it easy. Snakes, bad, okay? Jesus good. I know it's dangerous because it's homeschool in capital Canada, but anyways, and uh, aren't snakes bad? Why did Jesus call himself a snake? Wasn't it the serpents that caused man to sin, caused this whole problem? See, what Nicodemus was, hasn't seen yet, but what he's about to see, and what we see now because we have scripture is this. That instead of a father who demands moral allegiance— He is a father who comes, wraps himself in sin, and dies our death so that we could experience that born-again life. See, you and I were meant to be conceived out of love physically. And what he tells Nicodemus is this, is that being born again is you are being conceived out of love again, spiritually. What you have here, what Nicodemus is being confronted with, and what he's going to notice is that Jesus who says, I will be lifted up on the cross with sin draped over my shoulders. I will die your death so that you can have my life. This is going to be the most humbling experience for Nicodemus. And for us this morning, it is still a humbling experience. This is why it's very difficult if you're, if you're not saved here this morning and, and this whole idea of spiritual life and, and being born again, it will seem foolish to you. It's supposed to. Because like Jesus said, when he was talking about like the spirit, it's like the wind and you don't know where it's going. He means this. That it's until the spirit draws you to himself will you understand your need spiritually to come to life. Until Nicodemus saw that he was wrought full of sin, will he begin to see Jesus in the correct light. And what does this mean for us this morning? It means this. If you're a seeker here, I implore you to be part of this series, to begin really thinking about who Jesus is. Would you not see him as someone who, who looks at you and wants moral goodness from you? No, would you see him as the Father who comes, who longs for relationship with you, 
to be born again into a family where your father loves you, desires relationship with you, and who will have his dwelling inside of you. Spiritually, you are dead this morning. But the remedy is this, is that Jesus gave himself so that you would come alive this morning. If you're here and you're a believer and you've experienced God and you're wondering, how do I, how do I make sure that I don't leave, lose my spiritual fervor? How do I make sure that I don't do this wrong? The way to do it right is this, is to always understand your need for his spirit. And like Hebrew says, to fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of your faith. It's in this place, so what? What do I do now, Thomas? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You go to the word. You go to prayer. You understand that Jesus is your father. And he wishes to every day make you spiritually alive more and more. The option for us, church, is this. Will I choose to live in the fleshly nature that Jesus came and died for me? Will I choose to set my things, like the author in Colossians says, set my mind on things above, where now your life is hidden with Christ? Let's stand this morning, if you wouldn't mind, as we close. If you're here this morning, and you are that seeker, you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't know or you didn't know, maybe before this time you thought this whole thing was foolish, but now the Spirit has been working in you, and you realize maybe this isn't so foolish. Yes, there are things in me that are desiring something more. Yes, I see there's something in me that I need to remedy. That's you this morning. You want to be born again this morning? With all eyes closed and with heads bowed, I'm going to make sure this is a private moment between you and the Lord. If that's you this morning and you want to give your heart to Jesus, you want to be born again. You want a new life. You want Jesus to come and take your old life, take it from you, to remind you and show you how he killed it and how he's making you alive. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, just putting your hand up this morning. Awesome. If you're here this morning, and maybe the commitment for you is if you're a believer— and you're saying this morning, you know what, Thomas? I have become so flesh-like. I've forgotten to depend on his spirit. And I've got so, you know, enthralled with being morally good that I forgot that my dependency is on him and him alone. If that's you this morning, maybe would you mind lifting your hands as well this morning? And this was a reminder for you. There's a number of us this morning. Hey, listen, my hand's up as well. I forget every day. I need to be reminded every day. Let's pray this morning together. Jesus, I pray for that gentleman who put his hand up saying, I want to be born again. What a decision. Nicodemus in front of him, he could have saw all that he would lose. But Lord, forget that all that we gain. And for that gentleman this morning, would he see and fix his eyes on all that he gains? He gains new life that he is brand new, that like you said, the old has passed away and the new has come. Jesus, I pray that he would know that although he is a sinner now, you are going to make him brand new. That his life is now not marked by his mistakes, it's marked by your life. Jesus, I thank you that you are constantly making people alive. Jesus, I pray for him this this, this morning that you'd encourage his heart. Lord, he would sense your spirit indwelling him, 
and making him new. Lord, for those of us who are here this morning who so, are so easily entangled by the flesh, would we remember that we were born of spirit first? And we must rely on your spirit for everyday life. But God, there's people in this world who need you. And if I'm constantly worried about my affairs, that means I'm distracted from your affairs. Jesus, you asked me to be about your business, about your kingdom on earth. Help each one of us to set our eyes on the things above. That everything we do is with purpose. And with understanding that spirit, you are talking to us. You are making us new. You're making us alive. Jesus, I thank you that you are dwelling in us. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us. May we now live like that. Lord, I pray as we go this morning that you would be honored by our conversations, that you keep us safe, you watch over us. And Jesus, that this week, this would not just be a week where we just go on next month and Monday and Tuesday, but Lord, we'd be thinking every day, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Amen.